This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly Cup of Dreams and the other Cup special. Manchester United look all set for the Carabao Cup final. Rashford's flying form, Veghorst gets it launched and Fernandez finishes it all off. It's the fourth round of the FA Cup this weekend. Manchester City versus Arsenal, the big one, and then plenty of banana skin potential for Leicester, Leeds, Spurs, West Ham, amongst others. Also today, fury over the top 100 players in the world. Idle transfer chat. Hopefully we won't have time to bring you Nations League expansion news. You've asked lots of questions and the most uncomfortable listener award is unveiled. All that on today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hello. Hello, Jonathan Faduba. Good day. And hello, Mark Langdon from the Racing Post. Hi, Max. Just to say, I am broadcasting from the garden. So if you hear birds tweeting, dogs barking, etc., that is is why. The choice of this or a screaming baby, this seemed like the more sensible approach, Barry. Well, yeah, I, I was listening on Monday's part, I think it was, out for my walk and um i i could hear wildlife in the background and i, pre- I presumed it was australian wildlife it, it seemed like it could have been a a gala of some some other kind <laughs> of dingo tropical yeah. bird <laughs> i got told off for actually calling a koala a koala bear someone says has my citizenship been revoked but as currently not yet anyway let's get on with the football that's Vaguely why we're here. Uh, Nothing for us, nil. Manchester United, three. Um, so barring something utterly ridiculous, uh, Manchester United are into the Carabao Cup final. Uh, what did you make of this, Mark? Yeah, looking forward to next week's second leg. Um, I, I thought that <laughs> Manchester United did sort of what you'd expect them to do and, and played well. Um, you know, they, they got the early goal, fully deserved that lead. Some of their football was was exciting. You know, Anthony... The, the finishing touch, you know, not, not quite there, but actually was involved in a, a lot of the good play. Um, Ericsson, I thought, dictated the, the game in, in the second half. Rashford scored, uh, yeah, a, a great goal from Manchester United's point of view. I think you can look at Forrest's defending for that goal and, um, and, and, and start to question it. Veghorst is, is off the mark and again was involved linking up the play and barring a kind of 10, 15 minute spell when Forrest got what they felt was the equaliser. I mean, it was a controlled performance. And, you know, the City Grand's not been, uh, without going into cliche territory, not been an easy place for the big teams to go um, this season. Tottenham got knocked out um, by Forrest. You know, Liverpool slipped up. Chelsea didn't win there. So, I mean, you know, Forrest had been doing well. 
United were coming off the, the back of a disappointing result against Arsenal, and you know that they now look like they're they're reaching a final under Eric Ten Hag, and it just continues that progression. So I thought it was a really good night for them. At is at what point do we say Rashford should be spending less time pissing about scoring goals and more time focusing on feeding the kids? He looks. I don't know if this is the best Marcus Rashford ever looked, Jonathan, but there's. He seems to have all the things that he had when he was good the first time and has sort of added a sort of physical power that I I don't know if he'd have even tried to score that goal in his first incarnation of being good. Yeah, he's I don't think he's ever looked this good to be honest. Um the transformation that he's gone under in the last year is is remarkable. And I don't know if it's kind of like a testament to Eric Ten Hag's management or if it's just genuinely the pennies dropped and he's kind of turned mid twenties and, and is now sort of everything's just clicking into gear. Um, obviously, he had a full pre-season, didn't he? And that was um, quite important in terms of, you know, getting his fitness once um, the new manager was announced. You know, he, there was a lot of Instagram posts of him doing sort of extra sessions and stuff like that, double sessions. And I don't know if it's just that kind of focus that's come in. Also, I know that there's been off-the-field off, off, off the field stuff. You know, he, he talked about it during the World Cup, didn't he? Sort of personal issues maybe um, that may have affected him. And you never sort of really know, do you, the mindset of a player and what they're going through at times and how that can affect their form. And sometimes we judge players without really knowing obviously things that might be going on in, in their personal lives but he just looks in unbelievable form I mean Ten Hag has somehow managed to turn him into sort of this sort of quasi English Mbappe where he is picking the ball up on the halfway line and, and beating three players and cutting inside and you know that goal the, the thing that sort of struck me about it is he, he kind of just bullied the Forest defenders and Rashford in the last sort of 18 months um, I've been fairly critical of him in terms of his play because I felt that when he was playing sort of under previous managers, he was kind of getting in the team just um, almost almost on name alone, really. He, he was he was that sort of um, lacklustre. But he's really, you know, I think it's is it in his last 10, 10 goals, in his last sort of, um, since the World Cup, roughly, and two assists. And he's just flying in every single game. He looks like he's going to score. I think Crystal Palace is one of the only games he hasn't scored in. You can't really praise him enough. It, it just shows that maybe under a, a manager who knows what they're doing, you know, there was that disciplinary issue, wasn't there, against Wolves? Um, where he kind of overslept and, and was on the naughty step for, for 45 minutes, came on and scored, uh, and then scored one of the winning goals. So everything's just clicking into gear for him. And I'm, I'm really happy for him because he seems like he's a really dedicated player. Maybe, I don't know if there's a contract, maybe incentive there as well. Just obviously final year is contract. There's an option to extend, but whatever it is, he's, he's just transformed. And I think I do lean towards thinking it's a lot to do with Ten Hag because you also look at players like Luke Shaw, for example. Shaw looks... Like he's lost weight, he's he's in incredible form this season. Players who just looked substandard in the last two years suddenly look really lean and fit and hungry. So I do think it is a lot to do with um, Ten Hag, but you also have to praise Rashford for that sort of dedication and um, the will to improve his game. Ed writes, how many vouts, vout a veghorst, vout if a veghorst, vout chop, vout. Um, he <laughs> kind of works, Barry. I think uh, he scored his goal. I, I did wonder, I know this isn't about Ronaldo, but you know, Ten Hag wanted to get rid of Ronaldo. I wonder what he's thinking about Vout Veghorst being the man to fill his boots. I would say he probably thinks Vout Veghorst isn't fit to clean his boots, let alone fill them. <laughs> but uh, Vout is there now. And it was, you know, decent poacher's goal. Look, we all know Manchester United are clearly a better team than Forrest, but all three of the goals Manchester United scored last night were extremely avoidable from a Forest point of view, quite sloppy. The first one was terrible. I thought the third one was terrible. And Wayne Hennessy, you could say, was at fault for the second one. But 
Casemiro played the ball to Anthony after beating someone in midfield. I didn't see who it was. Anthony's shot was saved by Hennessy, but he parried the ball straight into the path of Veghorst, who, who reacted quicker than Scott McKenna and, and fired into the net. So probably a big moment for him, his first goal for Manchester United. He wants to hit the ground running, and, and I suppose he has done that now. And uh, good good for him. I, I imagine he will be a good signing for Manchester United. Eric Ten Hag clearly knows him and rates him. Uh, he seems like a nice fella to have around and I wouldn't expect him to score 12, 15 goals in the second half of the season but if he if he chips in with 6 or 7 and just, just contributes which I fully expect him to do he'll be an astute loan signing Yeah, and he links the play mark, doesn't he? I mean, that's his job Yeah, absolutely I mean, there was one sort of uh, triangle of passing where I think Anthony eventually had the shot and um, yeah, it was... Um, an unfortunate moment because he felt like that deserved a goal. Actually, it was really, um, you know, nicely worked. And I, you know, I think at least with Veghorst, and you can argue about his his overall ability. But Ten Hag has got when they signed him, they had a plan for what he was going to bring to the team. And I think there have maybe been signings previously at Manchester United that um, there hasn't necessarily been a plan, and it has been about. Is this person a big name? Is he going to do the social media um, hits? And, you know, well, let's bring him in and see how he fits into the team. But, you know, Veghorst is never going to, you know, sprint away from defenders, but he will be that kind of wall that you can pass the ball into, bring the attacking players that United have got. And I also think that, you know, because he hasn't got pace, you know, you don't want crosses going into him. You maybe defend a bit higher up the pitch and then that, create space for other players, um, somebody like Rashford, to go um, in behind. And you know, with Ten Hag, and I agree with Jonathan just with, with, with what Ten Hag has managed to do, really, because you know when he makes his substitutions, it, you can see what he's trying to do. And it's not always going to to work out. And, you know, he brought Fred on on, on Sunday and they didn't manage to really um, sort of shut uh, Saka down. But, um, you know, he's used Fred in you know very tactical ways um, this season. And I think when players can understand sort of those decisions and can see it working more often than not, then that they, they go along with it. So uh, I think it was another sort of successful night for Ten Hag in that he's managed to bring in um, Veghorst and he scored the goal and he's played, um, you know, quite well um, as well. So, yeah, you know, this is a, a big competition, I think, for, for Manchester United because uh, it's been a while since they won a trophy by, by their own standards. So if they could get um, the League Cup it, it, in Ten Hag's first season, I think it just adds to those building blocks of, of what he's trying to do. One thing I did notice um, was that um, in his goal celebration, about Veghorst bore a striking resemblance to um, Tommy Lee Royce, the multiple murderer from the drama Happy Valley, which ah, right. um, he's, he's a psychopath. And a nasty I'm glad it was a fictional work. murderer. I didn't know where you were going. Yeah, but... clearly you're not on board the Happy Valley bandwagon. Well, uh, no, Max. I mean I, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it good to go. Yeah, I, I'd get on board. That's very good. Yeah, yeah, it's a great series. But I'm still on Death in Paradise at the moment. Um, Jonathan, well, I just think I mean the while I agree with Mark and I kind of agree about Wakehorst in general, it could be a, a good signing. It could be an interesting um, move. I, I do think that if you look at the wider context of it and sort of going back to the weekend and looking at where Arsenal are and other teams, it 
I do feel like is, are we all kind of ignoring the, the elephant in the room, which is the fact that Manchester United are pretty much have no money and sort of shopping around in the Turkish league, trying to find bargain basement, bargain, bargain bucket signings to kind of get through the season um, when they're one of the richest clubs in the world. I mean, I know there's the, the context behind it, which is obviously the, the, you know, they're actively looking to either sell the club, um, the owners, or kind of find new investment. There seems to be a lot of talk about Weghorst as if it's like a shrewd deal where I'm not really sure it is. I think it's just the fact that Ten Hag probably said, I need a, I need a forward to be able to get us anywhere near the top four. And they've gone, well, here's your budget of about a million pounds to get a loan signing and, and, and do what you can. And, and, and sort of how Weghorst has come up. Um, I know he had a decent spell in Turkey, nine goals, I think, in 18 games and obviously two in 20 for Burnley. But I don't know if it's like a Henrik Larsson signing of the Ferguson no. days where, you know, he comes in in January and it's this sort of a masterstroke, or is it... So why don't they have any money? Where's that? What's going on there? Well, I think they've hired um, people, I think, is it the Rain Group? I'm not sure, but they've hired people to kind of look into a takeover of the, of the club. And it feels to me as if they've kind of put the, put the you know, spending on the back burner and kind of decided not to go for it. But I just wonder if this is ultimately going to cost United further down the line, because if you look at the amount of games coming up and, and, and the squad, you know, Martial's constantly injured. Weghorst is kind of open to question. I think his hold-up play is decent, but if you look at sort of Chelsea and, you know, Liverpool's sort of splashing 40 million on Gakpo and others, you know, I don't really looking at the longer term, bigger picture here, are they? It's kind of like a plug the hole while you can for a few months type signing. And I just want, I mean... Poor old, <laughs> poor old Val. Yeah. He's, he's plugging the hole. He's in the bargain bucket. He's just scored a goal. He's just having a good time. Hope he's not listening. Yesterday is the, um, the first day I learned that Brennan Johnson was the son of David Johnson, uh, the Nottingham Forest striker. I, had, I was not aware of that. But, you know, Johnson and Gibbs White look good together. Forest, I don't know if they'll be okay, but like, getting to the semi-final is no bad thing. Uh, Luke, what's the point of two-leg semi-finals? Um, in the other cup, shelled out another fifty quid on tickets for a game. We're now starting three nil down. Um, uh, Jim got in touch to say until the twenty sixteen edition of the Copa de Brazil, in the first two rounds, which were two legged ties, if the away team won the first leg by two or more goals, they'd progress straight through to the next round without needing to play the second leg, which they would play at home. Uh, however, the second leg would still have to be played if the home team won the first leg by two or more goals. So had that. Had we had the 2016 Copa de Brazil rules yesterday, United would be through. It does feel like, Barry, with just the amount of fixtures, the second leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final could be one. We could all let that go and probably be okay. I don't see the point of it, Max. I genuinely, even if there wasn't fixture congestion, I fail to see what the point of it is. Oh, I'm in full agreement. Um, Thomas says, uh, following your conversation on shirt sponsors of rivals, when a Birmingham, an Aston Villa fan wouldn't have his car windscreen fixed by an auto windscreens <laughs> repairman, despite being in the pissing rain for an hour with his family. As a Notts County fan, looking at Forest shirt early this season with glee, no sponsor, small time club, all that. Imagine how I feel now, having to hate on a refugee charity. Being a football, being a football fan is hard. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, that'll do for part one. Part two, we'll look ahead to the fourth round of the FA Cup. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold and our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. 
I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly uh, FA Cup preview. Um, so, look, Arsenal go to Manchester City tomorrow night, eight PM kickoff. Uh, Barry, this is this is the tie of the round. I confidently state. Yes, it is. So we've I think eleven Premier League sides left, thirteen Championship, four League One, three League Two, and one from the Conference. That's the make of the final thirty-two. You would be astonished at how long it took me to figure that out, despite having. <laughs> a list of the fixtures <laughs> written down in front of me. I got it wrong so often. I'm still not confident that um, that I have it right, but th- that's what I make it anyway. And yes, Man City Arsenal is the one that sticks out like a sore thumb, even though I guess both managers won't be taking it as seriously as they would if it was a league match. We might see weakened sides insofar as either of them are capable of fielding a weakened side but we do know Man City have far more strength in depth than Arsenal also the fact it's the first time they've met this season and we're all looking forward to their league meetings obviously because uh, of their league positions but uh, it's a really tricky one to call and until I see the, the, the lineups that both managers pick I I wouldn't have a notion who will win this game. Mm. And I wonder, Mark, if it has any bearing on... The, it doesn't have any bearing on the Premier League. It's a, t- it's a different competition. Or does it? I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm sure that on, on Monday's pod, um, you know, probably spend 20 minutes talking about what it means <laughs> uh, for the Premier League. And I, I was I was wondering here with, with Arteta, like, you know, if you play your full-strength team and you win, then what a massive boost... That would be, you know, you, you're showing everybody. And I think the general consensus is that you obviously City are, are trading. They've got to play Arsenal twice. They can win those two games and get back within striking distance. If you win that game, you know, does it show um, and prove that, you know, you are um, you know capable of, of actually, you know, winning those games against Manchester City and taking the title away from them? If you play your best team and lose, the, you know, does that start to bring about self-doubt um, in, in the team. I, I'm not so so sure. I think that it'll be a mix and match team probably from both. And, you know, from Arsenal's point of view, they've not really been able to, what have chosen not to play sort of anybody outside of their, their, their normal team really in uh, recent weeks because, you know, they've had no injuries. And I suppose, from Arteta's point of view, you'd want to keep the whole squad involved, I would have thought, at some stage. Um, they're not even playing in the next round of the Europa League, are they? So they've not even got those moments. So um could be an opportunity for them to rotate. But I just think the way that Arsenal are playing, you know, they, they, they should show no fear um, to Manchester City. They've had some 
some some bad defeats um, there in the past, but this is a completely different Arsenal um, team. And I mean, whatever side Arteta picks is is capable of troubling um, City. Uh, the, the other thing is that about that first league meeting was I didn't realise when it was um, the same night as um, the Champions League action. So you, you've got to choose between Arsenal City and Borussia Dortmund Chelsea or Club Bruges against Benfica. That that had sort of crept up on on me um, until yesterday. I'm working that night. I'm gonna to have to. I'm gonna to have to pretend, you know, just have it on a, another tiny screen. A bit like when I'm watching Cambridge games on iFollow, and everyone's looking at me. Going, what on earth are you doing here? I, I, interestingly, Jonathan, is that because a lot of Premier League teams are out, right? It is a real opportunity for those sides left in. I, you know, the FA Cup is is it's not easy to win now because at some point you will come up against one of the best. But it, you know, you it's all it's worth. I sort of feel it's worth both those sides gambling to get through by playing a full-strength team. Well, the, the big sides kind of take it the most serious. Probably looks like they've got a decent chance of of going quite far. If you look at some of the fixtures, you know you've got sort of Accrington, Leeds, Bristol City, West Brom, Fulham, Sunderland. There's not a huge amount of kind of like you'd maybe say marquee uh, names in there. Sheffield Wednesday, Fleetwood. So there is an opportunity. Obviously, Brighton, Liverpool are playing as well. Um, so there there is a chance. I mean, I think. Um, on what Mark said in terms of Arsenal and Man City they've not played each other for like more than a more than a calendar year which is, is quite rare in in Premier League terms and uh, you know in general really so in, in in terms of the importance of it I do I do actually think that there there is a, a marker to be laid down and I feel like as if um, you know the last time Arsenal went Arsenal played Man City away. They lost five 0 obviously, and and then there was that the, the the game at the Emirates where there was that late Rodri sort of winner in the ninetieth minute. So I do feel like even though it's just the cup and there probably will be a lot of rotation, because City are playing Arsenal so late in the season, the second game, it almost does feel like the first game of the Premier League, if that makes sense, in a weird way, um, because they can be so far ahead by the time they play the, the, that the second game or even the first game in, in, in you know in February. So. Um, I, I do think there is that importance, but you're, you're right. In, 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 when you look at the, the fixtures, there's a real opportunity for someone, maybe even someone like Brighton. You know, they they beat Liverpool three 0 in in the league not long ago. Um, if they can get through that game, potentially you could be looking at it just in the way that Newcastle have, have sort of got one one foot in the final in the in the League Cup. So um, a team that wants to win something, and I always find it strange how a lot of uh, sort of um, more like lower teams lower down the league, mid-table teams kind of seem to dismiss the cup and rest players when there's a real opportunity to do sort of maybe a Leicester and win a, win a cup like they did a few years ago. So I'd like to think that someone will take it seriously who to try and give some importance to their fans. But as you know, like most of the teams tend to rotate these days, don't they, in the cup. And Barry, where do you see the upsets? You've got Walsall, Leicester, Accrington, Leeds, Preston, Spurs, Reading going to Manchester United, West Ham having to go to Derby County. I'm just looking at the remaining 32 teams. And I think, in 16 years of doing this podcast, I'm struggling to think of a single thing of note that either Preston or Walsall have done, for good or bad. <laughs> so I'm imploring them <laughs> to... Are you saying Preston in their entire history or in the last 16 years? No, no. In the last right. 16 years, I can't remember us ever sort of... Ha- discussing anything to do with Preston or Walsall, whether it's something good they've done or something bad that's happened to them. So I'm imploring them to earn themselves some sizable, a sizable amount of Monday morning coverage by beating either uh, Spurs are away at Preston and Leicester are away at Walsall. 
I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Wrexham beat Sheffield United, although you wonder, I mean, and this sounds ridiculous, I think they will take it seriously, they, they have to, but Wrexham are in a three-way race to get out of the National League, only one team goes up automatically. I saw a stat somewhere recently that the top three teams in the the National League are all on course to get 100 points. <laughs> And at least one of them won't get promoted. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Wrexham beat Sheffield United, assuming they put out a, a full-strength team. I could see Derby County beating West Ham. There's no other standout. I reckon Sunderland might beat Fulham. I was hoping to go to that game, but I can't because I have to work and I can't get out of it. So I'm I'm going for Wrexham, Preston and Walsall to Producer Joel says he, he can't believe Barry doesn't remember Walsall finishing runners-up in the 2015 Johnson's Paint Trophy. And uh, Preston had um, five nil-nils in their first six league matches this season. A, a, a remarkable feat. And we did comment on it, I think so, yeah. Over to you, Walsall. When did, when did David Beckham play for Preston? And did Football Weekly exist then? No. So you're, that you're you know, and presumably Tom Finney uh, was not at was not playing for Preston when Football Weekly began. But listen, if um, if you have interesting information about Preston or Walsall from the last 16 years, then uh, Football Weekly at theguardian.com. Now, The Guardian is ranking the top 100 footballers in the world in 2022. Um, uh, me and Barry were on the voting committee. So were many other experts. So it wasn't just us. And I'm furious about it, as everyone should be furious about it. We've released numbers 100 to 41. The first big problem is that it counts up and not down. So when you get to the website, it starts with 41, and then you scroll down to 100. I have actually emailed uh, football editor Marcus Christensen to say that is not how a countdown should be a countdown. It's not Bruno Brooks can't go up, can he? He has to go down for his countdown. Uh, the biggest shock, possibly Ronaldo at number 51, but I didn't have him in my top 40 in the world this year. I don't think he's in the top 40 in the world. Are you saying it's a shock that he's as low as 51 or that it's a shock he's there at all? I, I was surprised <laughs> well, I'm the, he was there. I'm surprised he's there. Yeah, me too. I didn't have him in my yeah. top 40. Well, I just, I mean, the comments under this are always a delight. People get very angry about uh, the list these experts and so-called experts, which I include myself among, is not the same as the list they would have done. And they get furious about it. I did notice a, a comment from long-time below-the-line contributor Massive Bum Wizard 4545. I stopped reading after I saw you put Alexander Mitrovic ahead of Raphael Varane, Frankie de Jong, Manuel Neuer, Declan Rice and Deo Pemecano, to which Bruce Medallion <laughs> replied... So you stopped reading because your list is different <laughs> to this list. And then another commenter whose name I didn't get uh, was, these lists are to get you to click. And you go, well, yes, of course they are. I, uh, football editor Marcus Christensen didn't get in touch with, you know, approximately 200 different journalists, former players, ex pundits, etc., and so on. And then lovingly compile this <laughs> list in conjunction with the graphics department. I mean, the amount of work that goes into this is incredible. Just to hide it away in a corner <laughs> of the website and hope no one would look at it. Was there anyone on this list, Mark, or, that you were surprised to see? Anyone that got you 
infuriated. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to go down the bum wizard four five four five um, <laughs> route too much, but I mean, I, it did feel um, Ma- massive I, I, bum wizard. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I suppose when I was looking at the list, it felt uh, potentially that the World Cup had played quite a big part, and I was sort of wondering if it had been compiled sort of just after um, the World Cup or even during um, the World Cup. It was compiled just after the World Cup. And I do take your point, and a lot of other people have made that point, but I would argue that the World Cup should play a massive part in it. Yeah, maybe. I suppose, you know, I, I mean, Livakovic is somebody that probably wouldn't have been in the top probably 200, like, two weeks before um, the World Cup. And he did have um, a great one. And Otamendi making... A, a, I always look at the, the 100, for some reason, sort of... The, it's the one at 100 that I always get attracted to, probably more than who's number sort of one or, or two. And Otamendi sneaking into the, the, the top 100. I think he's another one that, that maybe there was a, um, a, a World Cup bias. But, I mean, it's an, imp- an impossible job um, as... Um, I'm, I'm sure you found it sort of worked out before. Yeah. I mean, I've got so much recency bias. I was furious that Hugo Lloris is the 76th best player in the world because he made a mistake last week or whatever yeah. <laughs> after the vote was done. Well, I, I had Leo Messi in as my number one, which was entirely influenced by the World Cup because if he hadn't won the World Cup, I'd probably have... Um, he would have been in my top five probably, but he wouldn't have been number one. But him winning, ending the year by winning the World Cup, and it's based on a calendar year, not on previous achievements, not on a season. It's based on the calendar year of 2022. So that that is probably what uh, nudged me to have him ahead of Kylian Mbappe and Erling Haaland, who were my two, three. That was it. I did my top list and then I'd realised I'd left out Erling Haaland. So I had to, had to stick him in quite high up. Any Any furious thoughts, Jonathan? No, 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 bum wizard sort of fury. Um, maybe just uh, it. It did raise an eyebrow when I saw Mitrovic above Rodrigo, but as you just mentioned, there it's kind of based on the calendar year and and and. Be- I suppose I think people get tend to get triggered by these lists because it's kind of because it says best players in the world. They they sort of assume that this means that that player is better than this player, rather than maybe the less sort of headline grabbing best performing players in the world maybe list if you know what I mean so I think that is what gets every gets bum wizards around the world really upset but no to be fair a lot of it so far is is, is pretty fair I, I had Ashraf Hakimi in sixth and I based that on the fact that he had a brilliant Africa Cup of Nations he had a brilliant World Cup and he was good in between which suggests to me I possibly had him too low yeah I mean I I there was one bit of the World Cup I think it's sort of halfway down the list it's just like the whole Morocco team just, <laughs> yeah. just bang I was like everyone's just gone ding, ding. oh I've got to chuck all of them in anyway uh, you can go and find it and then I think the top 40 are released pretty soon and then you can be furious about that bit of the list as well I'm, expe- I'm expecting Wout Weghorst in somewhere in that top 40 I guess absolutely it should be um, uh, the uh, 100 best players in the women's game have been revealed uh, a few lionesses in the top 10 um, Beth Mead uh, is at 2 Kira Walsh, nine. Lucy Bronze, 10. Uh, Alexi Puteas is, is number one. Sam Kerr at three. And that'll do for part two. Uh, part three, we'll do some transfer gossip and take your questions.
Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, great news, more football. The Nations League is expanding, Barry. It's just what we wanted. Well, it is expanding, but apparently there won't be more football. It'll be the same amount of football, just different football spread across okay. um, the Nations League and the Euro and 2000, uh, 2026 World Cup and 2028 Euros. I um, don't want to sound like I'm better than everyone else, but... I know for a fact I'm the only person who drinks in my local pub that understands the Nations League format and knows what it is. Right? I know this to be a fact. <laughs> and I okay. think I'm generally, if you got 100 football fans together, I would be one of a handful who understands the format of the Nations League. And I was reading about this um, new expanded format which introduces quarterfinals and promotional playoffs for various groups. I lost the will to live about two sentences in. It doesn't come into place till September 2024, so I just suggest we, we put it to one side and get back to it in two years if we're still here. Okay, that sounds great. Um, Anthony Gordon. Adam says, 60 million for Anthony Gordon. Has the world gone stark raving mad? Uh, thank you. The best bit of this was Charlie uh, pointed us in the direction of a tweet from EFC Daily, which read, Everton will give the green light for Anthony Gordon to join Newcastle today. The wide man took the advice of fellow professional Ross Barkley, who told him that London as a city is a distraction amid links with Chelsea this window. The bright lights of London uh, loom large for Anthony Gordon. It, it seems odd, Mark, that Newcastle will pay £60 million for Anthony Gordon when they could get Hakim Ziyech for £25 million. Yes. Um, I think if you just, um, you know, if you're going down the Guardian sort of route of best players in the world and you were ranking those two... You don't, Anthony yes. Gordon's at three. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's yeah. Ziyech would um, currently, uh, particularly since he had a good World Cup, he'd be above um, Anthony Gordon, I think there's the homegrown element. Um, of course, you know teams do need a certain amount of homegrown players, which puts a, a premium on them. I, I think there would also be something in Eddie Howe that believes that Anthony Gordon's got the raw skills that could be coached and developed. And uh, maybe at Everton, that coaching and development hasn't gone on. Um, and that you know you, there is a player in there. I mean, if you look at... I think there were a number of big teams that wanted Gordon in the summer. So, you know, there is something that um, is there to like. And when I saw him last season for Everton, I I felt he was really exciting and and could, you know, go and and develop into being an England player or, you know, around that England squad. And hasn't happened um, this season. But I do think that that has more to do with Everton um, than it, it does maybe with the player. Um, so 60 million would be a lot of money, but Newcastle have got a lot of money. So um, th- there is that. Jonathan, um, we didn't, we talked a bit about Arnold Danjuma in terms of it being funny that Spurs had nicked him, but I don't know how good he is or how, how good he has been, how, how sensible a signing that is. I think, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting signing because I, I, I assume that maybe Antonio Conte is planning to play him at wing back because he, he's kind of a wide forward and, I don't really see where he kind of fits into that that Spurs forward line. So, yeah, I don't know if it's maybe a squad option, and and, and Spurs just need a bit of beefing up. He he was he was really good for a spell um, in Spain, and there was a lot of talk about people paying crazy amounts of money to sort of bring him back to England. And then I, I suppose I don't know what's happened really in the last two three months with him, but it seems to have just allowed to leave in January without too much fuss about it. So I wouldn't have seen him going to Spurs 
I don't really know exactly where he's going to fit into that team. As I've said, they're, they're already kind of struggling to fit Richarlison in, which I, I found quite, I've, I've, I found it a bit curious that Richarlison hasn't had more game time in the last sort of, uh, since the World Cup, I suppose. I know he's had a bit of an injury, but, and it might be related to that, but with Son looking kind of quite, um, you know. Sad. Looks sad. Uh, having a bit of a maybe, mm. <laughs> sad, yeah, sad and um, post-World Cup hangover. Um, I don't know if that's maybe affected, um, maybe influenced the decision, but. He's a good player. I mean, Danjuma kind of, he can get in behind. He's, he's, he's quick. He, he, in some ways, reminds me a little bit of Anthony in a way and in, in kind of his, his body shape and the way he kind of cuts inside and, and, and can kind of um, create from the wide areas. So I think it's an interesting signing, but I think he would have been more important to maybe other teams in the league. Like of Everton, he would have been like a key man for them. Whereas with Spurs, I don't know if he'll be in, end up shunting that left wing back or something like that. So... Um, just going back to, was it Ross Barkley? I don't know. Has he ever had a night out in Newcastle? Because um, that could that could be well, a distraction right, no, as well. That's I'd say. the best thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like this, this, the bright lights of London is one of yeah. my favourite cliches. You can't clearly can't get a pint yeah. in Newcastle. That's one of the best. That's one of the best cities there is to go out partying. I think. <laughs> yeah. I would suspect though that if you're uh, gadding about in Newcastle, it's it's a much smaller city than London. You're going to be spotted. And if you're taking the piss, it, it it will probably get back to your man. It's a lot easier to hide in London. Um, yeah, there's a t-shirt. Can I ask you about? Um, can I ask you, Mark, about? Is it Pedro Perro from Sporting that Spurs are also trying to get? What 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 if they get him? What are they getting? So I, I think Pedro Porro is somebody that is uh, a wing back, more in the sense of a wing back rather than say Emerson Royale, who is very much. A right back, um, he, I wouldn't say could play in a back four, for instance. You wouldn't want, want him at right back. He gets down the wing and he puts crosses in and he played very well in the two games against um, Tottenham in the Champions League for Sporting, particularly the the, the, the game in, in London when he, he was just a threat throughout that, that entire 90 minutes. And I'm sure that would have played a part in, um, you know, in, in, in Tottenham wanting to sign him. Um, I, I, if they were to sign Pedro Porro, I think that would be around about £120 million spent by Tottenham on right back since losing Kyle Walker. Um, so trying to replace him has been a, a costly exercise. I mean, Serge Aurier um, was doing Serge Aurier things um, in, at the city ground on, on Wednesday. I don't think Matt Doherty's ever um, looked like being good enough for that position. Emerson Royale is a right back who... Um, I, I don't. He hasn't put in one assist, has he? I, I don't think from that position. Uh, Jed Spence was a club signing, as as Conte um, called it, and you know clearly doesn't trust him. And I think to get the best out of a Conte system, you need people in those wing back positions that that get forward and get on the end of of crosses, because quite often the best Conte football is the left wing back to the right wing back, and that they're, they're both in the box. And I think Pedro Porro would do that. I mean, and it will appease some Tottenham fans who've been, you know, begging the club on social media to sign Pedro Porro, probably having seen, um, you know, those two games against Spurs. But I mean, it probably wasn't a year ago that they were saying the same thing about Tarek Lamptey. He had to be the one that Tottenham signed to, to fill that, um, crisis position. And it sounds like Sporting are trying to get, um, Tarek Lamptey on loan to replace Pedro Porro. And the other question mark would be, like it's a you know he does well in a Conte system, uh, presumably, but Conte might not be there in a couple of months. And then you know if the next manager wants to play a back four, where would Pedro Porro 
fit into that. I'm, I'm not so sure. Where would Poch put Pedro Porro? That's the question. <laughs> uh, Weston McKenney to Leeds looked like it might happen. A US enclave in, in Yorkshire. Be like the war, Barry, won't it? They'll all go to the tea dances, all the Americans there. <laughs> And marry some good Yorkshire lasses, or or maybe maybe put a bun in the oven of some good Yorkshire <laughs> yeah. lasses, and then head off home. <laughs> what um, uh, is Western McKenney a good idea for Leeds, Jonathan? I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. They I mean they may as well throw Eunice Musa in there as well and have the entire USA midfield um, alongside Tyler Adams. But he's he's a decent player. I mean, McKenney is one that I've never really I've never really understood the, the hype. Maybe um, I know he obviously went to Juventus. I think he's a solid player. It's not someone that I would imagine that will come in and kind of set the Premier League alight, I don't think, necessarily. Um, not like Willie Nonto, for example, but he's kind of a solid, solid performer. I- I'm not entirely sure of Weston McKinney's level, I- I'll be honest, in terms of what he-, what he would really bring to Leeds. Brings tenacity. He's he's kind of decent ball player. He, he you know, he- he's quite aggressive at times when he wants to be and he can get in the box and make a light- late dart in. But... I don't know if that's really what, what Leeds need. I, I don't know if they need more forward options, really, to be honest. And, and I know they've got Rutter now, um, who who is is a, is a decent signing. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, McKenny will bring more steel in midfield and and uh, and one for the tea rooms. And they should um, they should get Gio Reyna as well, and then just keep him on the bench and then tell him he's going to be on the bench <laughs> and then start another war. Um, uh, AC Milan apparently interesting. Christian Pulisic from Chelsea and Alan San Maximum uh, from Newcastle. Sort of interesting how San Maximum sort of. And he's been injured that much, but you sort of thought he might flourish. And other players have, have taken his lead, where he was sort of the one saving grace in that Steve Bruce Newcastle side. Matthew says, if Gareth Bale can play golf from, stra- from scratch, what two outstanding things can the panel do that the British public should know? John Rahm saying that uh, Gareth Bale, he said, you can't be so good at professional football and golf at the same time. It just doesn't seem fair. I do like the idea, Barry, of Gareth Bale winning the Ryder Cup for Europe. That is something I'm fully behind. A lot of footballers are very good at golf. And I suppose they have a lot of spare time on their hands to play golf. And it's just one of those things. Some people are just very good at sports. Uh, I was staggeringly mediocre at best at a lot of various disciplines. But I was always envious of guys who were much, much, you know, seemed to be good at everything. But... Uh, it's no surprise Gareth Bale is good at golf because he seems to play an awful lot of it. <laughs> he does. Well, good luck to him in whatever pro-am thing that he's doing. I presume he's not in a four-ball with Donald Trump. Yes, Mark? Yeah, well, I'd just like to add, I mean, I think I've mentioned this before. I, I'm a world-class poached egg um, cooker, so that, that would be number <laughs> one. And the second thing that I would say I'm unrivaled at is knowing which bins to take out and which days oh. um, that they go out, even when there are bank holidays and it, it throws wow. the, the rest of the street into chaos. I'm sort uh, of confident. So you're the first one to go out I'll and everyone confidently stride out there and sort of lead the rest of the street. Is this qualified, Mark? Is there like a, is there like a world championships of uh, <laughs> well, there, taking there, the There may well out? be. It's good, to, it's good to really celebrate the things you are good at, Mark. It's interesting because I've moved from where I lived in London was there was a food market on that street so every day was bin day and now I have just bin day is is uh, Monday morning so you've got to get the bins out on a Sunday night and I find actually it's quite I find it quite um sort of bleak because it's a real it's a real way of sort of realizing life is slipping away you know like it's like it's it's just a moment we go oh, there's another week that's just gone and it sort of it makes everything feel much more finite whereas I, I was in this kind of 
this sort of dandy oblivion of every day was bin day for the last like 12 years. It was just, I didn't realize how liberating that was and how the only thing that was finite for me is football seasons. You know, that is how I dictate, you know, closer I'm getting to death. But now bin day, and that happens every week. I, I have the same kind of relationship with my window cleaner in as far as he comes around the 23rd of every month and each month he comes and I don't really need my windows cleaned once a month I know that's amazing well I hadn't had them cleaned in about 12 years and then a friend of a a mate of mine said oh my my mates do trying to get a window cleaning around so I thought oh yeah I'll, I'll get him in so now he comes every month. Now I clearly don't need my windows cleaned every month, but each time he comes, I, I if I'm at home, I hear the the water dripping the down and the scrapes. Yeah. So I go out and chat to him and it's it's now more like a, a monthly therapy session. <laughs> and I just get my windows cleaned as a you know, that's an added bonus. It's not John Robbins, is no. it? So is John Robbins cleaning your windows okay? Each time I go out, I realise how little I've achieved in the previous four <laughs> weeks. How much are you paying a month for your window? No one has their window clean, windows cleaned more than once a quarter, surely. Uh, well, I have mine cleaned once a month and it costs me 20 quid a pop. Oh, that's not bad at all. Um, you know, that's it takes him about 15 minutes. <laughs> At least five of which is spent chatting and not cleaning <laughs> windows. Uh, Neil says, on the subject of that um, Darvel uh, player who scored the goal and then had to go off and um, do an emergency plumbing job. Neil says, I think you're forgetting the British winter. I would imagine a plumbing call out in Scotland at this time of year would be for a boiler breakdown, leaving people with no heat in January. Not a problem for you in your tropical paradise. You've forgotten your roots, man. Well, I'll tell you something, Neil. My, my tropical paradise was broken into last night. And if the person who nicked my car and then then blew $84 at McDonald's in South Melbourne on my company credit card is a listener to the pod, can I have the car back, please? You, I'll pay for the McDonald's. Thank you. Uh, Matthew says, uh, finally, a few episodes back, Max discussed a listener who draws a bath and listens to the pod and kept reminding Nadam Onuaha of the listener in the bath. Um, I have one that is stranger. I had a vasectomy today, which is considered a procedure and not surgery here in the United States. Since I wouldn't be asleep under general anesthesia, I asked if I could use an earbud to listen to some music. I didn't really want to hear anything. So while the urologist performed the procedure, I listened to Max and the panel discuss how awful Everton are. <laughs> so, so thanks for the distraction, as it was much better hearing the pod than any noises while they cut and cauterized my bits. It made a vast deference in the experience. Hey. Very good. Healing is going as expected. Lots of ice and acetaminophen, which I presume is a drug. Um, Matt Sai in California. Uh, well... Uh, well done to you, Matt, uh, and congratulations on your procedure. And if anyone else has listened to this while having a vasectomy, I think this is the second vasectomy, to my knowledge. It's definitely not the first. It's definitely anyway. not the first. I, I think we've had quite a few. Yeah. Presumably, it's not the same person who's had a bo- <laughs> one that didn't work and is now having it done for the second time. But look, we'll, we'll take all vasectomies that we can. Um, and that, <laughs> that'll do for today. Uh, thank, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove with Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. We'll be back on Monday.
This is The Guardian. 